It was just a couple of days ago, actually, I think it was earlier this week, uh, that uh, one of my daughters, our youngest daughter, Courtney, we were driving together and she asked me a question. Kids are apt to ask good questions, and this was a fairly uh, simple one, but she just said, uh, so dad, when uh, did you learn, actually, how to do woodworking? And who was it that taught you how to do it? Like, when did you first kind of learn uh, that skill and, and that passion in your life? And she said, was it, was it grandpa, my dad? And I remember saying to her, uh, I said, well, yes and no. Because you see, growing up on the farm, I remember my dad having a love of woodworking. Uh, but I actually don't remember him doing it very often. Life was too busy. There was too many other things to do. There was always tasks at hand. And uh, so he typically only did it out of necessity from time to time. So I actually really don't have any clear memories of my dad uh, you know, teaching me woodworking specifically or intentionally. But I do remember working side by side with him. Uh, on various types of work, including working with wood at times, uh, and just simply learning by doing, by observing, by watching, and so on. Now, there was one day that I will remember forever, and it's etched in my memory as a young boy, and it is a woodworking story, but it's also a story of so much more than that. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, I think I've heard this story before, maybe. Uh, I have told this story before. Um, I'm at the age now where I can repeat stories because uh, they all seem new to me again. And uh, you're all, many of you are at the age where you don't remember anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm also telling this story again, partly because of what struck me as I, as my daughter asked that question, but also preparing this week for this, this message on the gift of grace. Because it was immediately a story that came to my mind instantly. And so that's why I tell this story again, because of the power of stories that, that change us, uh, the power of stories that impact us. And this is one that is a life-changing story that impacted the very fabric of my life. And my guess is, and my hope is, is that you also have those stories that immediately come to mind, maybe when you're talking about a certain topic or something comes up or whatever. So for me, again, this story, and for some of you it will be new, but this story is one where we were just installing a handrail in our house. And... Uh, uh, we needed to just finish this handrail and install it in the house because I remember my, my grandmother was coming, my father's mother-in-law, and he was preparing the house for her and there wasn't a handrail in the house and she was going to be sleeping upstairs. And so it was something that he wanted to do uh, for her. And so my father purchased an, uh, this manufactured handrail from town, I remember, and all we had to do was, was stain it and then varnish it and, uh, and then install it. But there was one critical step that also had to be a part of the installation of this handrail. It was because of how our stairwell in our old farmhouse was. For some reason, I still don't even know why, but there was this sort of this bend in this, and it wasn't like a nice curved stairwell. It was just sort of this kink in the stairwell. I have no idea what happened in that. Uh, but anyways, and so this handrail had to bend and follow the curve of, of the wall that was there in order to accommodate that. And so uh, my dad, he took the handrail and he cut these deep notches in the middle of it right about where the bend would be in order to allow for this thing to, to curve and to bend uh, so that he could, he could put it in place. So my dad did that and, and we were going to go test it and he handed me the handrail and he wanted me to put it to the test. I don't remember how old I was. I just remember I was a young boy, maybe eight or nine, somewhere in that range, maybe a little bit older. Uh, but one of the things I do remember from growing up, one of the differences between my dad and myself was my impatient reactions to his very steady, slow, deliberate pace of life. Some of you can relate. And uh, I'm finding now that I'm 
becoming more and more like my father and in those ways. But at that time, it was like, no, 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 let's do it things in a hurry. And so I was often frustrated with his pace of life. And I would push to drive faster if we were driving somewhere to get going sooner and just generally make things happen quicker. Whatever the, the task happened to be, that was sort of my push. And my dad's challenge to me was always just slow down, take your time, do it right the first time and only do it once. Um, so on this day, I was again in a hurry. And I remember taking this handrail that he had given to me and I, I started to push it against the wall to achieve the bend that he had had for it. And I thought, okay, this is, this will be fine. And I pushed it and suddenly there was this loud crack. And you know what happened? I had turned the notches to the outside of the bend instead of the inside of the bend as my dad had intended, right? And so I remember realizing what I had done and thinking, oh my goodness, there's going to be a sharp rebuke from my father. But that's the part of the story that then struck me. Because it didn't come. That rebuke never came. And I don't remember what he said, and I'm sure he said some things. I honestly don't remember what he said, but I do remember him quietly taking the handrail and taking me and the handrail back down into the basement and me following sheepishly behind. Um, and thankfully, he was able to sand out the cracks and sand out what had happened there and the sharp edges on it uh, and, and put it you know, on a place where it was sort of under the underside of the rail. And, and so he quickly fixed the exposed crack uh, and then the most amazing part of all as we walked back up to the stairs is he handed me the rail again to put it in place. Like he trusted me with it again. This time, I ensured that we had the orientation the right way, and I just remember we installed this handrail together. And it's this silly little story of the handrail. My girls all know this story. But it's this one that comes up in my mind immediately when I think of the gift of grace. A story of grace of getting a blessing or something that you just simply do not deserve. And I remember in that story, I felt like I knew what I deserved at that point. I knew I deserved a rebuke of some kind, of any kind, and yet there was nothing. Which is why this story has always stuck with me. Which is why I repeat this story from time to time, because it's part of a testimony. And my hope and prayer is that you too have those stories where somebody has done something in your life that gives you a picture or an image of God in a way that stays with you, that that shapes you, that transforms you in some way. And so today as we talk about the gift of grace, I want you to realize that the gift of grace is received in a story. That's how we receive this gift of grace. It, it comes to us in a story. It's experienced in our lives in a story. It's not just this abstract idea. It's not just a good theological way of understanding things or rationale, even though it is a good theological teaching and understanding, but it's something that needs to be felt. It's something that needs to draw our emotions out. It's something that needs to, to carry us and have its power kind of overwhelm us at times, just like that simple little story did to me as a young boy. It's also something that calls us to action. Because you see, the gift of grace is a story that calls us to respond to others and to continue that story down the line and repeat it over and over again. Some of you will have been aware of this or maybe uh, seen this on social media, but there's a, a current story that's trending just this week that just started to kind of rise up on Facebook and I think it's on Twitter as well too. And it's sweeping social media. This woman from Ontario who was so impacted by a young man uh, who helped her in California in a very specific way just over a month ago. 
And she was down in California, and she was there with her young five-year-old boy, and she was in line uh, trying to pay for her groceries, and she was struggling with her young son, and she was had her credit card out, and she was trying to pay uh, for her groceries, and the credit card kept getting denied, and she had no other card or no other means of paying it, and so she was frustrated. Her young boy was restless. She had all these groceries there, about $200 worth of groceries there, and she didn't know what to do. The young man in the line right behind her, his name is Matthew, he offered to pay for her groceries. Now, you can imagine, maybe your response to that would be similar to mine. It's like, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay, you don't have to pay for my groceries, as she says. And he insisted, he said, no, let me just pay for your groceries. And so they had this sort of back and forth for a while, apparently, until she finally agreed to let him pay for her groceries, but only once she admitted or, or said that, I will make sure that I pass this forward and do the same for somebody else down the line. So he paid for her $200 worth of groceries, and she went on her way. Now, she apparently had recognized this guy from the gym. He worked at a gym down the street in that area, and she had been there before. So later that week, she went there to the gym. She wanted to go and meet him in person and just thank him for what he had done. But when she went to the gym, what she found out was is that less than 24 hours after she had met him and had this incident at the grocery store, he was killed in a car accident. And so she was like, oh my goodness. This story needs to be told. And she says, at least his family needs to know this story. So she went online, social media, tried to find out, and eventually found his family and just conveyed the story uh, of what this young man had done. And so now if you go on social media, you can find it. It's called Matthew's Legacy. And it's this story that is continuing on as people are, are doing the same thing of paying it forward, of blessing others, of just this gift of grace after gift of grace, of giving somebody something that they do not deserve. Because it was a story that impacted this woman deeply. And it's a story that as people read it and understand the story, it's impacting them deeply as well. And so, you see, that's what stories of grace do to us. They grab hold of us. They stir something within us in our emotions and they cause us to remember them. And then there are also things that, that call us to multiply those stories of grace in the lives of other people. You see, my, my dad's story of grace in my life in that moment, in that incident, was not a story that he, that he told me. It was a story that he lived. And so for me... As a father, my hope and prayer is that those stories will be multiplied in the lives of my children. Not that I will just tell them stories, that one or other ones, but that that story is multiplied in the way that I live in their lives so that there is a story to tell and it ripples out from generation to generation. And that's the call for every one of us as we think about this gift of grace. But imagine for a minute if someone went even further than these two stories. Imagine for a minute if, if somebody actually was willing and, and willingly agreed not only to just sacrifice $200 for a grocery bill, not only willingly agreed to simply hold back a sharp, sharp rebuke, but actually went to the point of a willingness to actually die in your place. Imagine that you were sentenced to die, that you were shown guilty of whatever crime and you were sentenced to die, and then somebody comes along, steps in and says, no, 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 not you, I will pay this price for you. Talk about grace. Talk about an unbelievable gift of grace that you just simply do not deserve. I mean, what do you do with something like that? Imagine if that were to ever happen. 
How much would you want to pay it forward? And how much would you want to extend expressions of grace to other people, gifts of grace to other people in an ongoing way? Today in the Advent devotional book, and many of you have been picking up on that online, it's on our website and there's hard copies available as well. And in today's reading, Spencer Meisner uh, reminds us that we might not give up our lives for a family member or a close friend, uh, or we might give up our lives for a family member or co- close friend, but very likely we would not do such a thing for an enemy. Not too likely. And yet that is the gift of grace at Christmas, of God Himself coming to this earth as a baby with the ultimate purpose of dying on the cross and giving up His life for us, for the penalty of our sin. And you know, it's a story that we, if we've grown up in the church, maybe we've heard it so many times we lose the wonder of it. And it's told so many times throughout Scripture in all kinds of different ways. In one place it says this way, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. And He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's heaven's army will make this happen. In another place, this same story is told this way. It says, He came into the very world that He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us, and He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is God's story of grace, the gift of grace. It's an incredible story. It's an astounding story. It's one that we've likely heard many times for those of us who have heard it over and over, if we've grown up again in the church, because we're familiar with it, because it's a story of such grace, but that it's also a familiar one in in the sense that it's easy to lose the wonder of it all. If you haven't lost the wonder of this story, you are to be commended. And maybe you're somebody who's here today and you're new to church or you're new to this kind of setting or you're still trying to understand the gospel story and who God is and what He has done and what are the implications of that? Or, or maybe you're somebody who has, has grown up in the church for decades and this story still grabs you. This story still captivates you. It's a story that still causes you to wonder and to marvel that this living God would do such a thing. I hope and pray that that would be true for each one of us because if you have still have that wonder, you are blessed. And if we have lost that wonder, we need to find that again. Because that's part of the blessing of God and that's part of what we celebrate during this Advent season in anticipation for Christmas and this incredible celebration of this story. But you know, grace isn't only found in a story, although I would argue that its power is found there. As Jesus told so many stories that grab people's hearts. But grace can also be defined. It can also be expressed in very concise theology. And in fact, In the text that we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 2, we see some very concise theology that does that so well. And yet, even as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, but this still tells a story. It's still found in the context of the story. So I'd encourage you to 
turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start by looking at verses 4 to 9. And here the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and he's telling them about this wonderful story, this gift of grace. And he's explaining it to them. And he says it this way, he says, But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You know, both mercy and grace are in this text. And these are really two words that complement each other. They're two words that uh, are kind of the, the opposite sides of the same coin in a sense. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And grace is getting some blessing that you do not deserve. And so even though there are subtle differences, they, they merge together. And both of them are here in this text. They go together and Paul brings them out. One commentator, he describes grace in this way and he gives this definition. And he says, grace means the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us. You can't read Paul's letters without seeing this word of grace expressed over and over again. It's almost in every one of his greetings. In fact, I think it is. In every one of his letters to the churches, he begins in some way with this expression of grace as he references that. And so for Paul, grace was nothing less than the unsought and unbought saving activity of God, which made him a debtor forever. And he knew he had to live a life that was out of response to that. He, he knew this gift of grace that he had been given, which was so profound. It had changed his life forever on that road to Damascus as he encountered the living Jesus. And now he lived his life as a debtor to this grace and realizing that he had to continue this story of grace and he, he calls the churches to that. You know, in theory, grace, the gift of grace, or a, a gift like that is is really an easy gift to receive. It should be. It's meant to be. But in practice, it can be hard to accept because there's nothing that we can do to deserve it. Sometimes that's awkward. Sometimes that's challenging. It could feel like coming to a Christmas party where everyone else brought gifts and is exchanging them. And in fact, you're coming to a Christmas party to a place that you don't even work and there's gifts there for you and they're giving their gifts for you and you're like the only one who didn't bring a gift. Talk about awkward. But yet the first thing that we have to do with any gift is we have to receive it. We have to just be humble enough in order to actually receive it and just say thank you. But it's also hard to receive a gift in this way, in this gift of grace, if we don't understand even why it was given to us. If we don't understand our need for it. And I want to back up for just a minute and read verses 1 to 3 in Ephesians chapter 2 because it gives the context of that, of why Paul speaks to this gift of grace that he explains in the verses that we just read. But he begins that chapter and he says it this way. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Deserving of wrath. Part of what's so hard for us to 
receive this gift of grace is not understanding the sinfulness that's there within us. And the very need that we have for a Savior. The very need that we have for somebody to rescue us. For somebody to go in our place. And here Paul, he's talking about this idea of a living death. People that are alive, but really they're dead. There is a deadness within them in one way or another. It's the condition of the people. Even the very religious people. If you remember, Jesus spoke to the very religious people who followed all the rules and orders and instructions very carefully. But he said, you are like the walking dead. You are the living dead if you walk in that way as well too. So Paul is also referring here to people who are are these rebellious people. We often think of those rebellious people as, as those out there who are just so rebellious. And we fail to see the rebellion there within our own hearts and in our own lives. And so we see that God is a God of wrath because of a just God, a holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin. And so there is a payment that needs to be made for that. You see, if God does not have any wrath, then salvation is not needed. One theologian says it this way. He says, he who does not get angry does not care. Interesting thought. That God gets angry at the sin of people and angry at the rebellion of the hearts of people because He cares and He loves for he loves His people so much. And that's why these first verses of Ephesians chapter 2 are so important to remind us of our need for this gift of grace. And then in verse 4, how it begins where we started at, at this text. And in many of your translations, it starts with those key words of but God. We should be actually objects of wrath, but God rescued us, saved us, gave us this most amazing gift. And then we're called to live out of the wonder of this gift. Not only to receive it with just open arms arms and, and hearts and with gratitude, but also to live out of the wonder of it. It's true that grace can never be earned. It can only be received. But then there's this invitation to extend this gift of grace to others, to continue this story and have a ripple effect and stories that go on uh, for generations and to generations, to live out another story, to pay it forward, you might say. We read in verse 10, jumping back to that section of the text, where Paul says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's interesting. If you look at the end of verse nine or 8 and 9, he says, you know, it's, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's only a gift of God. Not by works. You are not saved by works so no one can boast. And then right after that, he goes in and he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He's not contradicting himself. He's just simply saying those works don't save you. But he says those works give evidence that you have received this gift of grace. Because if you really understand the depravity of your soul, if you really understand the need for this salvation, and if you really understand why God has given you this gift of grace, you will live a life out of response in that. And your life will be stories of grace that come out of that incredible ultimate story of grace, which is what he's saying. So the purpose of God's creative activity is not merely to have a people, as if we are sort of these you know nice little objects that you put on a shelf, or this unique kind of work of art that God has painted that is us but rather to have a new creation that is also active and productive, creating stories of grace just like the Creator. To live and work and to be in His image, responding just as the Creator is with stories of grace that continue to be told and lived out in our lives. How did we ever get the idea 
that this gift of grace requires no response on our part. That there's nothing for us to do in response. It's continually a call to respond. We sometimes think of faith only as this mental assent. All I have to do is just sort of agree in my mind or or this decision that you make or this certain kind of teaching and that if we understand that, then that is faith. But Paul makes it so clear that the, that, the, that the faith is what accesses us to this gift of grace, and the faith is this life-changing and always producing of good deeds and of a life that continues to tell more stories of grace. One of our core values as a church is this value of faith. It's the very first one that we list out of four kind of really high-level predominant ones. And it's this idea of understanding who the object of our faith is, that God is first and we are second. But it also has this aspect in it that in response to that, we are called to live faith-filled lives. That out of who God is and out of what God has done, that, that we live a life of faith, of responsive faith. Also in the devotional readings that you'll read this week, Val Buron had written one there and And she says in there that we've been given so much by the grace of God. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And I love how she says in there, she says, no hoarding allowed. And then let me quote from that text of what she writes. She says, the Lord always puts someone else in your life who needs what you carry. In other words, the gifts of grace that you carry. Our assignment and privilege is to release it to them. Are you in a season where you're experiencing abundance? Release generosity. Is your life manifesting His faithfulness? Release your testimony. Are you experiencing deliverance from sin or bondage? Release freedom. Do you carry unreasonable optimism? Release joy. Is the Word of God active in a tangible way in your life? Release truth. And I love that picture, that, that releasing what you carry and not just holding on to it for your own purposes is part of God's grace for us. It's to continue to tell the stories and to live the stories in an ongoing way. You know, a lot of times... God's grace doesn't really appear obvious to us. And that's because God's grace is just seen in everyday stories of our lives. Stories that come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. A story that catches us off guard because we don't deserve it. And something comes into our lives as a unique blessing that we just didn't deserve, didn't earn or anything. But it grabs our emotions. It changes us. It sticks with us. It's stories that we can't forget. And maybe even ones that we would tell to those who follow in the generations that come. But then again, here's the thing that we've been talking about this morning. As again, that gift of grace invites us to also create these stories in the everydayness of lives for others. Every single day, you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to create stories of grace. A response to a coworker that is unusual in its blessing. Want to catch somebody off guard this week? Bless them extravagantly when they don't deserve it. Allowing someone to merge into your lane. Yes, even here in Saskatoon, you can do that. An unexpectedly, unexpected extravagant tip for a server at a restaurant who you never met and don't even know. Going the extra mile or more for a family member who you haven't done that for, oh, maybe forever, who doesn't deserve it. My simple question is, what is... What is the gift of grace that you will bring today? What is the gift of grace that you will live this week? In all the small little interactions, in all the small little places, the the seemingly insignificant things that 
you think, well, it won't really make a difference. I don't think, I've told this story to my dad. He never even remembered the story. Like it was no big deal to him. I've never forgotten the story. Like, so we don't know how our actions or reactions or expressions of grace will impact those around us. And it's even found in our pain and in our challenges. You know, two weeks ago, when we finished up the First Peter series, there was one phrase in First Peter chapter 5 that we never really talked about, but it, it stuck with me and it's sort of come back to me as I've been thinking about this gift of grace for this week. And I've been processing it because it, it talks about grace. And it was this verse in First Peter 5 verse 12, the last part of it, where, where Peter is saying to the church, and he says, my purpose in writing to you is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. If you remember the context of that, they were being persecuted for their faith quite significantly. This has caused me to wonder, okay, what all does that mean? As he's encouraging them and and, and helping them to understand how to walk in persecution, he's saying, I want you to know that what you're experiencing is also part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in it. So even if you are walking in stories of pain this week or challenge to understand that that God is weaving a story of grace in a very unique way even in the pain of your life the gift of grace at Christmas is God's love for us in Jesus Christ coming to this earth in the most amazing miraculous way in the form of a little baby but you know it only stays this warm kind of nostalgic little story of this little baby in a manger unless we extend this gift of grace to the cross. It took 33 years to see this gift of grace come to fulfillment at the cross and the empty tomb. As Jesus grew from this tiny little baby to a, a young boy, to a teenager, to an adult, to hanging on a cross as Lord and Savior. God's grace came to us at a great price. We need to understand and receive this gift of grace for us and then live out stories of this grace for others. Would you stand with me as we pray? And I'm going to invite the worship team up. And they're going to lead us in responsive songs uh, to this gift of grace that we've been speaking about today. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for <clears throat> Your love for us. I thank You for these um, stories of grace that we see throughout Scripture the stories of grace that we experience in our own lives. And God, we just confess that oftentimes we miss them. We lose sight of them. We confess that sometimes even the things that we do, we don't really pay attention to, or maybe we don't do it intentionally, but even in that, you can use us as gifts of grace to other people. But Lord Jesus, I, pr I pray that you would help us during this Advent season to see more fully our need for this gift of grace, first of all, and also the incredible gift that it truly is. God, would you restore the wonder of it for us this Christmas? Would you restore the wonder of what you have done and the impact that that has on our lives and the lives of those around us, that we can live free of this guilt and this sin, and that we can live free in this world because of what you have done, Lord, and that we can also bless others. And may you help us to do that, waken us to do that this week, even this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.